John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1165.AM0408, certificate number 39656, Sister Cities. Now this is probably millennia in the past to most of our listeners, but uh, John, since you're, you share my era, did you see the news story this week commemorating the 1847 relationship between the Irish and the Choctaw? No. Have you been following the latest in Irish-Choctaw nation relations? No, and it's weird because I have uh, I have that as a Google search term. But <laughs> I thought you were going to say you were 164th. It's weird because I have 164th Choctaw ancestry, Ken. <laughs> and 164th Irish. <laughs> I am way more than 164th Irish, but sadly not Choctaw. Uh, there is a, uh, there's a large statue in the Irish town of Middletown that kind of looks like a badminton shuttlecock but it's it's some kind of feathers sculpted out of what looks to be wire right and it commemorates the gratitude of the irish people for the choctaw who had uh in 1847 they heard about the the starvations and the deprivations of the potato famine uh and uh having really having just been on their own trail of tears just a decade or two before um and having seen you know Nobody knows loss to starvation and disease like the Native Americans. Uh, they were moved to send a $170 donation to the people of Ireland. Wow. And I don't, this is the feel-good story of the summer. The summer 1847. And also of summer 2020, because as a result, I don't know if there was a, I don't know if this is something that's widely known but in, the Irish government Ireland. put it in a in an IRA, and now it's worth seventy billion dollars, and they're giving it to the Choctaw. People. No, they put it in the wrong IRA tragically, and they used it to oh, buy plastic oh, explosives. It, it didn't it didn't go well. What do you think they call IRAs in Ireland? Oh right, it's a Roth uh, thingy. Um, apparently, there is some level of awareness in Ireland of this debt they owe to the Choctaw people because when there was. Massive news coverage this past week of the rising uh, coronavirus numbers on American Indian reservations, specifically the Navajo and Hopi Nation reservations, are are seeing really high 
COVID spikes, right. as are, you know, disproportionately other kinds of poor and marginalized communities. Um, a Irish fundraiser decided it was time to repay the debt. Not to the Choctaws in particular, but to Native Americans. But to in Native general. Americans in general. So started an on on. Not Irish... sure whether I'm insulted or not, but yeah, are we okay with this? Go on. It seems to be still the feel good hit of the the summer. Okay, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be so oppressively woke that you don't have any joy. Here. I'm glad I was only I was only performing a potential offense just to make sure that you understood how woke I was. I think there's enough kind of uh, pan continental fellowship among all native tribes that they would see a, you know a debt owed to the Choctaw as being able to be repaid to say the Navajo or Hopi. I'm going to say that I'm not qualified to <laughs> assess whether or not a native tribe or the native tribes. But will you let Ireland adjudicate this? That's the main question. Are you willing to leave it in the hands of the Irish? I mean, the Irish are an oppressed minority, oppressed particularly by the English, the yes. ultimate colonizers. Yes. But I am a Welshman. Mm. And by comparison, the Irish had it pretty good. Oh. Because we never, we have, there's no Welsh independence. Where's the WRA? That's yeah. why. You guys didn't blow up enough hotels <laughs> yeah. in the 70s. Uh, I No, I do not think anybody should be blowing up hotels. I'm, I want to just go on the record. So she started a campaign to raise. Who's she? Sorry, Ethel Branch, an Irish fundraiser. Yeah. Uh, com, in commemoration Wait, up, of Ethel this, Branch is a person or Ethel Branch is an Irish, uh, or it's like a fundraising group? I believe Ethel Branch is something you get drunk on. We're from the Ethel Branch. <laughs> Uh, she raised, uh, has raised over $2 million for food and water and medical supplies and so forth to the struggling Hopi and Navajo nations. Irish pounds or dollars? We, I have translated it to dollars because the CNN story I'm reading also did so. $2 million. $2 million. Uh, and out of this, some kind of, um, historic racial memory that there's, I don't, I don't mean racial memory in a creepy Valkyrie way. Right. I mean like a heritage way right. of remembering this debt and this friendship between, unlucky friendship between the Irish and Native Americans that was independent of government, but just kind of a private act of fellowship and hands across the sea and so forth. Now, th this is wonderful because I, I often have found in Europe, um, a lot of countries, or a lot, I'm sorry, not countries, but there are populations of people. It's, what am I trying to say? It's fashionable among certain sets in Europe to... You're really hedging now. To, um, to try to forge some commonality with Native Americans uh, where, you know, a certain kind of like hippie, woke European tries to honor Native Americans by adopting Native American practices in a Belgian context. <laughs> and, um, and it's a very weird and, and like uncomfortable, tortured um, sort of cultural appropriation that happens. But this sounds like it's a legitimate relationship that predates... Um, sure, 1847. Predates independent Ireland, right? And or, it's nice that it starts with the Choctaw, who yeah. are like, hey, we're normal, you know, we're normally the down our luck ones, but uh, but you know who needs us right now? The 
fungally ravaged Irish people. The uh, it's pretty great. The um, I think it's everyone knows the position of this program is that if Europeans are obsessed with indigenous people, they've got reindeer wizards of their own mm-hmm. that they could that they could give a leg up to or an antler up to. So the Choctaw are originally from the American Southeast. The, they're sort of the the original inhabitants of Georgia and and Florida and later, Alabama. Later pushed somewhat north and west. Well, pushed across the Mississippi in your aforementioned Trail of Tears. And now live in Oklahoma, Texas, Louisiana. This was a kind of a common feel-good trope, like a new story maybe of our generation of um, private uh, philanthropic groups— um, just in kind of a innocence of human spirit and generosity, crossing international borders, culture wars, socio-political borders to reach out to those in need. You know, it's it's really the do the Russians love their children too thing. Right. Uh, the Samantha Smith story that we discussed anonymous is a good example. Even though it's the height of the Cold War and Reagan is at the height of his evil empire rhetoric, um, young Samantha Smith writes to writes to the Soviet leaders to ask, hey, why do you guys want to have a nuclear war? And uh, who it's... Gorbachev? Uh, uh, no, or, it's no, a, Androp- Andropov. Andropov, I think. Yeah. says, no, little girl. No, we, <laughs> Russia, Russia does not want war. Is he, what is crazy about moose? It's bad for Russia to moose have war. squirrel does not want the Russian... To have war that is nuclear. Oh. Um, <laughs> and this was a, this is not uncommon trope in the news that, uh, you know, that... Individual acts of friendship and brotherhood could and should exist between nations, sometimes despite their governments. So did the Choctaw wrap this money in a letter written in Esperanto? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. (laughs) That's the common language between Ireland and uh, the Choctaw people. Uh, Specifically, the most common way we see this operating in the last century of human history in our time, futurelings, is on a city basis. Humans in our era often live in concentrated urban environments known as cities, mm. which do have their own municipal governments, Hives. But, but really very little, uh, generally little autonomy in their local provinces, prefectures, or nations. Cities fill potholes, but they, they can't run debts. Yeah, it's so funny the way cities are, have... A, limitations put on their ability to tax on their ability to make law you certainly cities do have those powers but really truncated by legislatures and very little we don't think of cities as having diplomatic powers and yet they do there are municipal relations that exist between cities in a way that kind of bypasses the normal channels you would go through with with national governments and and embassies and so forth uh and let's talk about one of them, the Sister City Program. My Uncle Al was an ambassador for the city of Seattle. Wait, what? In the 1950s. But he was a somewhat of a goodwill ambassador. This is like how Ginger Spice was, a, was an ambassador for UNESCO. Right. He didn't actually... Uh, did he serve in another city? Is there a little bit of, of soil in Chattanooga, Tennessee that is actually Seattle? No, I think he went places with a sash... And, you know, he would wear a sash and maybe break champagne bottles on things or he, he shook a lot of hands, my Uncle Al. What if every Costco through like some kind of diplomatic community was Seattle soil? 
Wow. No matter where it was. Or any porch with an Amazon package and any, sitting on it. Anytime I stepped into a Costco anywhere in the world, I no longer had to invite anyone into my home for That's dinner. Right. You could be chilly with those <laughs> around you. Smile at everyone nicely and then keep walking. I mean, nowadays you'd have a mask on, so you, couldn't, you wouldn't even have to smile. Um, the origin of this kind of city-to-city uh, diplomacy that your, your your uncle you said yeah was such a fine example of, or, by the great way, uncle great uncle. great uncle where did he represent Seattle in Seattle uh, he well, was the ambassador he, of Seattle to Seattle he was a Seattle city councilman so he did it here but it was how um, could you be an ambassador uh, because in the city where you live yeah, because he he I think his first uh, his first job was to welcome returning servicemen home from World War II and then the Korean War. And then, you know, Century 21, Seattle um, World's Fair was uh, originally his conception. Right. Al Rochester. And so during that period, when people from all around the world were coming to Seattle, Al, in his sash, I don't know, greeted them at the port? Well, one one would say that they were the ambassadors. Surely Hmm. he is the, uh, (laughs) what? I feel like a goodwill ambassador. It's a pretty wiggly, pretty soft definition if you push on it too hard. That's true. He got to go to expos yeah. and, and Disneyland. There you go. Uh, the idea of cities creating relationships like these goes back further than you would think. In the year 396 AD. This is earlier than I thought. Is that, this yeah. moose is larger than I thought. <laughs> I don't know what your great uncle was up to. Uh, he was not wearing a sash at this time. He was not King Neptune yet. He was he was wearing a sash. He was just the, he was the little baby in that illustration. Maybe this is one of his past lives. At the time, your great uncle was actually laborious, the second bishop of Le Mans. He was certainly laborious in his lifetime. <laughs> I didn't even think about this. This guy's name is Liborius, but he does sound like he's a bit of a of a headache. Yeah, he lives in Gaul. I mean, modern day France, but then the Roman province of Gaul. He uh, was the bishop of the city of Le Mans in North, what is today northern France, north central France, for forty nine years. Whoa, nice work if you can get it, and an eternity back then. Uh, and then he died and was buried in Le Mans. And of course, back then, when your bishop of forty nine years dies. Um, that's an important part of the cathedral. His tomb is a real destination. Right. People might uh, pilgrimage to it. You might even be beatified or uh, or sainted. And that's, in fact, what what happened to Bishop Laborius of Le Mans. He was canonized shortly thereafter for uh, miracles, miraculous things that had happened both in his lifetime and healings that had happened at his tomb. Um, relics were being very important to the church back then. You got to have the bone of this guy, the fin- you know, the finger bone of somebody good, is a, you know, much the same way a, a dad would take a photo of that and and point it out to kids who could read the placard just fine. Sure, or you know, my dad would just take a finger bone. <laughs> he would just take it. Just, just taking finger bones right and left. You should see his collection of finger bones. Oh, both right and left. He was ambidextrous yeah, of, right. at, at taking finger bones. That's right. He, well, he's he, he was a, a stickler for balance, right? Back then, people believed they could actually be healed by the finger bone of, of, of whoever. And the lame shall walk. So that's Which makes it all the more remarkable about uh, 450 years later, when a problem develops 500 miles away from Le, Le Mans in the city of Paderborn, Germany. Oh, I've been to Paderborn. Oh, you have? I've been to Le Mans, too. I have uh, been through Le Mans, never been to Paderborn. Paderborn... Uh, was bombed heavily. So yes, it was. The lovely cathedral does not have any of the lovely stained glass that's original. But uh, at the time, 
Paderborn had a thriving Christian community, but they did not have a saint, a, a saint of their own. There, there was no patron bishop that had been canonized. And that's a bummer for a, a big, uh, uh, what? A, a, a bishopric. Bishopric. Except like doesn't have a bishop. A diocese. So Paderborn's very close to the bishopric of Munster and would have been, uh, would have been like feeling the, that Munster pressure. Sure. You know, that fat Munster pressure. Because this is all like, uh, this is all Charlemagne's and Germany, the, And right? there's no, it is Charlemagne, it's Charlemagne's time. Uh, it's exactly Charlemagne, contemporaneous with Charlemagne. He is still the Holy Roman Emperor. And there's no professional sports to make, right. to, for cities to compete with. So I assume there was a lot of competing via things like religious relics. Oh, sure. Right. Because that's what's going to bring people to town. That's what's going to stimulate the economy, like uh, the the finger of St. Laborious. Right. Instead of injecting money into the economy, you can inject finger bones back then. (laughs) So Leo III III and Charlemagne feel bad for the city of Paderborn, which is without a saint. And that's when the city of Le Mans makes a remarkable gesture, and they offer to dig up Laborious from his... uh, from his grave. What now? Keep some of his relics in a tomb there, but send the body 500 miles east-northeast to Paderborn and donate their saint. Because here's the thing about Le Mans. They have another better saint. Uh... Their diocese was founded by Julian of Le Mans, who was the first Christian to, to preach there. And he did some really good miracles. Oh. He he pounded a stick into the ground and fresh water came out during a time of drought. Sure, he's a top saint. So they've got those sweet, sweet Julian finger bones, and they can afford to give up their bee saint, Laborious of Le Mans. So why are they giving it to Paderborn and not Bielefeld or Dortmund or whatever, <laughs> whoever else? Like, what what's Paderborn got? Yeah, Paderborn's only, and they're not getting anything in exchange. This is, uh, as the story goes, this is a, a love bond of lasting brotherhood that just comes from nothing but the goodness of their of their hearts. It's it's, it's one of those things. Somebody got married to somebody's sister, and the the two towns. I mean, they were small ta- smaller towns, and then. Uh, you know, and possibly we know that Leo the Third and Charlemagne are in on this exchange, right. or in on this donation. So maybe there is some political pressure. But the point is that the town of Paderborn really feels a deep debt of gratitude, right. much as the Irish apparently still are so happy for that 170 bucks they got from the Choctaw Nation. I wish um, I'd known this. Uh, I'd wish I'd known this when I was in Paderborn. I do you would think it would have come up a lot at, well, at, at the bar? Well, I would have looked for, looked for signs of it. Uh, you could look for a peacock. The, the peacock is the, uh, the symbol of St. Laborious because as the story goes, as the procession wound its way 500 miles from Le, Le Mans to uh, Paderborn, it was miraculously led by a peacock. Hmm. Or you could look for the other sign of St. Laborious, which is three pebbles sitting on a book. Uh, the pebbles are probably related to the fact that uh, there's a lot of limestone in the water in the Paderborn area. And as a result, people tended to get a lot of gallstones in the Paderborn area. <laughs> and so you'd think St. Laborious would be the patron saint of getting gallstones, but no, he's the patron saint of healing gallstones. Right, right. Because people would come to his tomb to seek relief for their, their painful pebble-related problems. So from that time, from the year 835 on, Paderborn had this uh, feeling of, of gratitude for the generosity of Le Mans, and there was actually, it, it was a warm relationship of, of friendship and brotherhood and cultural exchange that persisted despite the fact that Europe was fractured in many different ways over the, the millennium ahead. This is so bonkers to me. Le Mans and Paderborn... It's pretty random. I, I cannot I cannot think of two 
places that I would not put t- together in any way, shape, or form. But doesn't it remind you today of seeing um, in some Seattle park a little plaque to the effect that this is our sister city of Tashkent, Uzbekistan? Yes. It- a- and you wonder why the hell... Seattle and Tashkent, Uzbekistan have to have any relationship at all, much less a plaque in this park. It's so funny because I just always assumed that this was some kind of chamber of commerce, like international Rotary Club. You know, the Rotary Club is always looking for reasons to to give somebody a medal. And this just feels like it always felt like a Rotary Club thing. It kind of is. Uh, what we're looking for, I think these are some 20th century found antecedents of, of brotherly love between cities that justifies our Chamber of Commerce. I see. Um, tradition, but there's a little more to it than that because there's other cases through history. Um, after World War One, for example, the town of Cayley in West Yorkshire adopted Poitou du Nord, France, a tiny little town that had been just reduced to rubble. Um, and they, for, I don't know, there must have been some a soldier coming home or something that suggested this as a target for philanthropy. But this tiny Yorkshire town raised two hundred thousand francs and built a red brick community center called the Cayley Hall, which is still found in, in tiny Poitou-Nord, France. And that all, that also seems a little self serving. It's, it's got like, their name in it. They didn't yeah. have to call it Cayley Hall. Whenever I am out in the forest and I see some Eagle Scout project where some <laughs> Eagle Scout has built a little. Something and their and their name is on it in in letters that are just slightly too big. I'm like, is this an Eagle Scout project or did you just build a little a little memorial to yourself? It may be that 16 year old boys are not the most likely demographic to appreciate anonymous good works. Well, except in past time, right? You have, I mean, Boy Scout projects in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Did Eagle Projects, were they less well-signed? I don't think that they were signed. I think you did your thing and you got out of there. You didn't You didn't have a custom plaque The thing said, about Scouts is you're doing self-improvement in order to get little embroidered circles. Right. So, I mean, that's That's the, it. That's your only reward. But that's the same thing. Like, uh, Well, and you, you also get to go you to the Air Force learned, Academy. You could have just learned Morse code at home. <laughs> but you wanted a little, a little <laughs> circle with a picture of a telegraph key on it or something. I suppose that's true. So these are people that have been conditioned to think that they will see their name on a thing as long as they check off enough boxes. Right. No, but I'm with you. I, I find it very unseemly when, before the play, you look through the program and it tells you exactly how much Ugh. the Nordstrom family and the Boeing family gave. I mean, come on. Your name is already on stuff, Nordstrom and Boeing. Yeah, you guys have your own your, your own thing you can name. You don't have to name the this wing of the art museum. Just give it. I donated to a thing this week. I, I'm, I'm too modest to tell you what or how much. Go ahead. What did you donate to? I'm too modest to come tell you what on. or how much. Okay, whisper it to me. It was a beloved local video store. Oh, I know you love that, but that's self-interest. You just want that store to stay open. (laughs) (laughs) I think there is some self-interest in a lot of kinds of philanthropy. I I keep suggesting that you're going to just buy that video store and rename it the the Ken Jennings random and unusual videos. Jeopardy Laserdisc (laughs) Emporium. That place has got some nutty videos. We're talking about, of course, Scarecrow Video Seattle's beloved, the largest video store left in the Western Hemisphere, I believe. And really just a a place that has one of everything. If you want all the different faces of deaths, you can get it there. (laughs) Uh, But the option in their giving campaign was, do you want your name available right. and your amount available. And I said, no, no, and no, no, I'm, Ken I'm just going to talk about it on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it really reminded me that that is an option available to people. And they still, everybody says, Oh yes, please, oh, no, please you put see my name like on the sometimes break. anonymous is up there on the, 
And I like it. Engraved in stone. Because it's not just that it, they didn't leave the name off. They reminded you that some people wanted to give and didn't care. Right. If Somebody pe- if anybody did knew it. give $1 million, and it was a no- Mr. and Mrs. Anonymous. I feel like we should hear that uh, 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 some anonymous island uh, northwest of England gave to the, the Hopis and Navajos. Do we have to know that it's Ireland? Doesn't that cheapen the gift a little bit? If you would like to give to Omnibus <laughs> at the $1 million level and have your name remain anonymous... You can do so at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. It's true that we do take effectively anonymous donations. We don't publish the names of our donors anywhere. If uh, we have been saying, if you know, when we did MK Ultra last week, we did announce that that was uh, uh, which listener had contributed it. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, hey, Jared. Jared. Thanks, Jared, your friend. We're talking about you again. This is your buddy. second straight week. How's it going? Um, but if someone were to say, hey, I want you to do a show about Puff the Magic Dragon, but please do not use my name. We would absolutely honor that request. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, wait, are we talking about the cartoon character the, uh, in song, or are we talking about the AC-130 gunship? There's armament called the Puff the Magic Dragon? Yeah. Is it the Puff the Magic Dragon? No, it's called Puff the Magic Dragon. It's a, it's, yeah, I'll, maybe I'll do a show on it. I mean, I, I can't do too many airplane shows. No, the fans just get too happy. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's too much listener excitement when you do too when you go to Jane's too often. Um, this uh, the uh, tradition of sister cities does not get to America until 1931, when on a very informal level, Toledo, Ohio, opens relations with. Do you want to guess? Uh, uh, Tashkent, Kazakhstan, <laughs> Toledo, Spain. Oh, of course. Through the coincidence of their name, there has been a few kind of, uh, over the years, kind of quasi-diplomatic overtures. Toledo sent, you know, there's Toledo's famous for its steel. Right. So they sent some swords, which hang in the, the town hall or whatever in Toledo, Ohio. There have been a kind of a, a exchange student types of things in the early 20th century where their kids came here to learn English for the summer. We sent our Spanish club from Toledo High over there. Boy, can you imagine? To eat tapas. I've, I've always thought about this, like a, like some kid from Toledo, Ohio, is gets to go to Toledo, Spain, and then there's some Spanish kid that ends up in Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I think it's very telling that the name of the civic group is the Community on Relations with Toledo, Spain. Right. Even though there are members on, of this committee on both sides of the Atlantic. The name of the committee is Relations with Toledo, Spain, because nobody wants Relations with Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> well, there's so many opportunities for that in that case, right? New York would have a sister city in England called York. Sure. Philadelphia is, it was the ancient name of, I think, Amon Jordan. Oh, Amon, sure, Amon Jordan was once Philadelphia, comma, uh, Middle East. And you could, you could be sister cities with Delphos. Sure. Right. Uh, uh, Memphis. Memphis. I mean, right? a lot of in these Egypt? are ruined cities. Memphis, Egypt is is a ruin now. So there wouldn't be a whole lot of parades, or uh, there couldn't be. A, you couldn't have a pancake dinner or a, or anything like that. Are there sister cities even within America? Like, is Des Moines, Iowa, sister cities with Des Moines, Washington? <laughs> they are always international. Um, right. And this is because you know these are just kind of some isolated cases of um, you know communities reaching out and doing a fun thing in, in Toledo's case because of an accident of nomenclature. Can you imagine if you're a student from Moscow and you end up in <laughs> Moscow, Idaho? Like, wait a minute. Uh, the movement becomes a movement after World War II. Um, sort of United Nations is the popular And song. Europe has just been not just blasted to hell, but just divided. And the idea is we need to rebuild 
Europe. We need to rebuild these connections. And sometimes the relationships uh, are uh, ones of uh, sympathy uh, from damage inflicted by the war. For example, uh, very early, almost immediately after the war ends, uh, Coventry, England, and Stalingrad form a a, a, a partnership. And and they have something in common, which is getting blown to hell by Nazi Germany. Like, and that's kind of what they have in common. They have, it's like siblings of an abuse, abusive parent or right. something. So they're, they're trying to bridge across a cold war gap, but, but using their common experience as victims of Nazis. They have a common enemy. Uh, and it doesn't take long before this extends to kind of an olive branch across the world war two, um, national, Enmities. In 1947, Reading, England, forms the first partnership of its kind with a German city, Dusseldorf. Right. So Dusseldorf and Reading agree to let bygones be bygones and show a good example of brotherhood by becoming partners. Now, these are not called sister cities in Europe. Dusseldorf got the worst of, of that relationship, I think, in terms of which got bombed into smithereens more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. there's not a lot of uh, exciting... English options to be uh, partnered with outside of London. Well, Reading's got that great music festival. Oh, yeah. At the time, though, in 1947? No. no. But they knew it would. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, if this place ever has a music festival, we're going to be in on the ground floor. Um, <laughs> so it's not called Sister Cities. No, in Europe, this phenomenon is almost always called twinning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that. Because uh, if, you dr- if you drive into any place on the A-whatever in England, it'll tell you... Um, Welcome to Dorchester, right. twinned with, like twin is a verb, twinned with Bergen, Norway, and uh, Palermo, Italy, and... Well, now you're talking about triplets. It's not, you're not yes. a twin. Well, you're twinned with each of them individually, I but see. you'd think that would make you octuplets or whatever. Right. Um, that's a because, good point. Oh, because if you, if, if, if uh, Dusseldorf... Yeah, it's not commutative. It's not commutative, Or associative, right? I guess. Your, your twin is not also the twin of your twin. Transitive. Twin. It's not transitive. The twinning. twin of my twin is my twinemy. Right. No, you're right. These are individual two-way relationships Which seems weird, cases. right? Once you started a network of, once you started like a, a web, why not? Well, especially if you keep the twin metaphor. Right. Right? Keep it going, man. I guess it's because everything has to happen back and forth. And yeah. there, there, you don't want you're not you don't want to create new nodes that require meetings of twenty people. Sure, because then you start a game of telephone. It's like, oh, I was talking to Dortmund the other day. Did you hear what it said about? Did you hear what they said about Johannesburg? <laughs> so, Ken, I'd like to interrupt the show here with a little ad for our show. You're going to advertise our show during our show. I'm going to stop our show where people are listening to you and me talk to do an ad for our show. This is going to work because I bet 100% of the people who listen to our show would be interested in our show. Interesting. It's the perfect demographic for us. <laughs> and we have, and we got two celebrities to advertise the show for us. We're so lucky. You and me. <laughs> One of the advantages of supporting the show, uh, and I'm talking about an advantage over and above the satisfaction of knowing that you are supporting Omnibus your favorite podcast. Part of the community. Uh, is that we have a whole a whole host of benefits for Patreon supporters. A whole raft of benefits. A raft of benefits. We literally put them on a raft. So at the at the at the first tier of support and every subsequent tier, uh, you have access to, I think, what is some of the best bonus content out there, an the- additional entry in the omnibus 
uh, where we review old episodes uh, according to letters we've received from you, the listeners. Corrections, additions, uh, submissions. Uh, we let we talk back. That's right. You get to talk back to us, and then we mostly slap your comments down. We do not let you have the last word. But sometimes, yeah, maybe you had a point. But we do go back and review old episodes and um, and add because some I, of that information into the omnibus. Because actual experts are replying. That's People right. who have spent decades working in these fields, and for some reason, they think their insights are... Uh, are more uh, valuable than ours. Right. They're like, nah, that's not how an aileron works. And then we end up having to tell them, no, even though you're an aeronautical engineer, we knew better. But not often. We're pretty honest about it. That was the engineer on the 737 MAX. But then uh, but then at subsequently higher tiers... Yeah, that's the lobster person level. At the $10 per month level, sentient Aspen tree level, you get the bonus episode, but you also get access to our the photo feed on our Patreon, which is essentially an image blog of... You and me recording. It's the uh, the stuff we the people the physical objects that people send us that we talk about on the show. It's copies of our show notes, so you can see kind of a director's cut of what didn't didn't make the show. Our show notes are are little um, artifacts of the way our brains work. Uh, Ken's show notes are are meticulously written in spookily small handwriting, such that um, that suggest maybe he is. Weird graph paper they haven't yeah. sold since like 1989 at a Japanese department store. It's, it's the that octagonal graph paper for <laughs> uh, for doing dungeons, and then mine are often written on the back of grocery store receipts, scrawled illegibly in leaky pens. John's may have his checking account number on the back, so that's a that's a unannounced perk. At the higher level, the next level, twenty dollar level, twenty dollar a month, robot alien explorer. You get all those perks, plus you get a copy of one of the show notes autographed by us. An actual real. A remnant of the show. Let's say an artifact. Let's say your name is what's this? What's this um, robot alien explorer's name, John? Uh, Macy Glotz. We would say uh, thanks, Macy Glotz, and then John and I would sign, and uh, it would show up in your mailbox. And it would be the real deal, something that we. Uh, so Ken often starts at the top of his list and goes down, and tries to include everything he wrote on the page. I often will get halfway through a page and go in a different direction, and then forget to even mention the things I wrote down on the page. Those are some of the real collectibles. And yours have coffee rings on them. So, that's right, a lot of coffee. So if you want John's that. DNA, it's not impossible. So that's at the $20 level. That's $20 a month. If you think about the fact that we do two shows a week, well, that's eight shows a month. Yeah, if you, if you well, 10 probably if you count the addendum show. Oh, right. So, so you, that's, a, that's a, a, a mere $2 a show. That's not actually so bad. Even though it seems like an aspirational amount, it's $2 for a, a, an hour or so of... Uh, of really, really scattershot entertainment. Yeah, that's right. Top shelf, or let, let's say uh, middle shelf that's near the top of entertainment. If for some reason you have disposable income and you value the omnibus community to such a degree that you would like to pay more than the market value for omnibus, hmm. you're welcome to do that at our $50 a month washing bear tier. We super, super adore you. And what does the washing bear tier get? All the other stuff, plus they get to choose the topic of a show. Now, my next show is going to be one chosen by uh, one of our Washing Bear listeners. And we will credit him or her. And uh, and you you just made John read up on something you were into for like an hour. You, you're, he's like your slave now. It's super exciting because when, when people send us good ideas, it's always very obvious to one of us that the show was meant for us to do. 
uh, at the $100 level, the okay. Omniversal Hypercoral level. Come on, Omniversal Hypercoral. I mean, this is going to have to be something pretty good because this, this is somebody who loves Omnibus enough to, to drop, you know, their Starbucks budget, their sure. monthly Starbucks budget on uh, a podcast that others are not paying $100 well, for. We love you. I mean, this is, t- this is $10 an episode. Uh, and they get still less than you'd pay to go to the movies. They get all of the above prizes. They get the bonus episode. They get all the images in the photo feed. They get a copy of autographed show notes. They get to suggest a show, but they also, uh, we've been doing video chats with our donors at this level. We've been hanging out with them. Super fun. Even though it's completely antithetical to what we would normally do. And totally up to you. We can talk about whatever we want. You have, maybe you have questions. We had a great, a great experience with, um, with a donor, in Denver, oh no, Detroit, one Detroit. of the D towns, um, and the the donor actually it was his girlfriend that got him the the subscription, and then his friend came on the call. Seemed like the friend was kind of into it. Yeah, the friend kind of dominated the conversation. The donor seemed like a, be annoyed at his girlfriend for putting him in this position, but it seems like sort of annoyed at his friend. In too. the end, everybody had fun. Yeah, good time. So that is the uh, those are the options available to you if uh, you have the wherewithal right now to support Omnibus. Thank you so much to those of you who are supporting the show. We appreciate it very much. And now back to the show featuring Ken Jennings and John Roderick. Love those guys. An organization called the Council of European Municipalities actually starts up in '51 with the aim of promoting these kinds of relationships, and it leads to a boom in, in twinning, or um, jumelage, as it's called in France. In most, Euro- in most European languages, it, it literally means a twin relationship. But it's not always a financial, it's, it, it quickly goes away from someone, a, a, a wealthier town building a community center in a ravaged war-torn yeah, tw- town. The twin relationship implies a kind of parody. Right. They're siblings. It's no longer, I'm reaching down to help you the way these, a lot of these earlier cases were. Le Mans and Potterborn, uh, Kaylee and Poix de Nord. Really, it's it's like we we are going to create uh, bonds, peer peer type bonds in every aspect of our relationship. Our our businesses, our you know our our residents will travel, will visit each other as tourists, but our businesses will create relationships that'll lead to networking, that'll lead to economic growth. Um, there's a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways, the, the modern European Union um, is a result of the Council of European Municipalities trying to create these pan-European relationships the hell you from say. the bottom up. Uh, I don't think you would have had this, I don't think you get this kind of pan-European spirit without this kind of concerted business-friendly effort to uh, to create these networks. So was it initially just European countries friending one another, or yes. was there always somebody in Zambia that was... Because now it seems like countries are twinned, or cities are twinned with places far and wide. At first, it's just within Europe. Later, you know, after the wall falls in 1989, um, the European Parliament, act, or the European Commission via the European Parliament actually funds, throws money at the creation of these... Because, you know, it costs money to, to reach out to some city in Romania that's about your size and say, Hey, we want to have a, a, a festival for your, for your fruit or your brandy or your telecom company or whatever it is. Right. Um, and the European parliament in 89 agreed to, to throw money at that in hopes of creating bonds between the newly, uh, opened up East and the West. And 
When the U.S. got into this sister city business, it was for the same reason, but it was much earlier. In, 1950, in the summer of 1956, President Eisenhower held a conference at the White House to announce a new initiative called People to People, oh. which was a kind of a citizen-level diplomacy between, you know, between all nations, but spe- among all nations, but specifically between the West and the communist bloc. And, um, he, you know, he announced, this, you know, you can kind of see this in Eisenhower's other, you know, Adams, what was it? Uh, Adams Toward Peace or whatever that's called. Um, that oh, yeah, right. Adams for Peace. Even, though we, these, have a, even though we have atomic energy, uh, you know, we could build power plants instead of bombs. These and, all feel like, uh, like, like television specials where Marlo Thomas is going to sing us a song. It does. You wonder how propagandistic it is because obviously there is some voice of America thing where by reaching out to our fellow man behind the iron curtain, we can help them throw off the shackles of their oppressive governments. But when he announces it, you know, he gets all these, he, he, get, he brings leaders of every field of, of endeavor to the white house, just normal people. And this being America, they're all, you know, it's not Einstein and Faulkner. It's um, it's a bunch of business leaders uh, in different fields. And for all I know, big Eisenhower donors. I don't know. Really, <laughs> uh, look, looking at the list, the only one I recognize is former omnibus fixture cartoonist Al Cap. Hey, Al Cap. Who is brought in to recognize what is then one of the biggest sectors of the American economy, newspaper cartooning. Um, and uh, and Eisenhower does say that you know he this is a what he says is you know the billions we're spending on nuclear arms will not bring peace. That's that's a palliative measure. At best, which I think is a, if anything, a generous way to describe the arms race. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says that we we could. Uh, this is a way to reach through every chink in the Iron Curtain, and by chink he meant a small hole. I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but in his speech, he says he hopes what he could do is bring the family of Russia that is laboring to better the lot of their children, as humans do the world over, closer into our circle to show how we do it, and then to sit down between us to say, now how do we improve the lot of both of us? So that's a very generous and egalitarian way to see yeah. peace at the height of the Cold War. It's How do we improve the lot of both of it's us? It's A, the Russians love their children too, for sure. Right. And B, we, we have much to teach each other. Right. So on the surface, at least, it is not just radio-free Europe. It's, it's really, it seems more benevolent than that. And I'm sure, you know, the Defense Department and the and intelligence community is for this as well for their own reasons. But, you know, improve the lot— of both of us, there's always that a- angle to American Cold War talk that will slip a little line like that in, and what it really means is, how do we get you to be more capitalist and see the advantages of... Uh, mutual, yeah, when you yeah. say mutual good, what you're really saying is through capitalism. Right, mutual good. Wouldn't you also like a beautiful new blender? There is no question that this uh, fills many American foreign policy aims. But it's couched in kind of a starry-eyed utopian language. And it's and specifically, it's not going to be us, the government, doing it. It's going to be right. regular Joes regular like, Joes. Al, like Al Cap right. um, reaching out to their con- uh, contacts all over the world. And, be, and so uh, the, an organization called the National League of Cities starts a Sister Cities initiative and later spins off its own organization, which still exists today, called Sister Cities International, to promote these kind of municipal bonds. And uh, it runs amok, given this kind of government um, imprimatur mm-hmm. uh, of legitimacy uh, today. And that's why we get the situation today where 
Seattle, for example, is twinned with 21 other cities. Can you name any of Seattle's sister cities? Uh, Tashkent in Kazakhstan. Tashkent is actually correct. (laughs) Do you know any others just from... Hanging around Seattle? No, because I because I have seen that list multiple times, and it's just there's no. It doesn't feel like there's any connection. That's a funny thing. There is no rhyme or reason. If you look at Seattle's list, which includes everything from, oh, Bergen, Norway. That's funny. No, yeah, I was nice. in Bergen last summer, and I or two summers and ago, had I, no I had no idea that I was in our sister city. And that's kind of what happens. It's. It's a chamber of commerce thing that is not reflected. I knew Kobe, Japan, because... Oh, I knew that, too. There's that little Japanese pagoda temple thing um, uh, on some some little park kind of near where 90 and yeah, I-5 yeah, yeah, yeah. meet. It's, um, yeah, there, there, there and, are and stuff like that. Stuff like that does get built, and you'll see, as we've said, a, a plaque somewhere. The relationships are often created with some rough similarity in mind. It's a city of roughly the same size and prominence on their national stage. Well, that's what I always look for, right? When I see a sister city list, I want to see... I do not want to see Moscow, Russia, and Moscow, Idaho. Right. I want to see similarly sized towns. And often there will be some... For example, it doesn't even matter what it is. It can be pretty random. Washington, D.C. and Tokyo are sister cities on the strength of cherry blossoms. Oh, they have they have a joint cherry blossom thing at roughly the same time. Also prominent every cities. spring. Although Washington D.C. maybe yeah. is uh, is like um, a little bit outranked by Tokyo. But often there's fishing industries yeah, yeah. involved, or uh, you know, a, a culinary scene, or um, I don't know what some other examples are. Paris and Rome are famously twinned only with each other. Oh, ooh, that's kind of sexy, actually. Out of some self-centered belief that no one is good enough for Paris but Rome, and certainly no one is good enough for Rome but Paris. They're not going to lower themselves to any other city. I've told this story many times, but when Colin Malloy first joined Twitter, he only followed me. (laughs) And for like nine months, he only followed me, and it was... uh, it was very sexy. He never referred to it. He never like he his never, fans must have wondered though, because people always say me. people always say who? Why do they only follow one person? Right. He had a million followers or whatever. He only followed me. Then he stopped doing that. He started following more interesting people. Boo. But you know, I went on here just randomly. You mentioned uh, you know cities in Romania, so I just went here and and looked at what the sister cities of Cluj Napoca are. Is this a place you've been? Yeah, and uh, it's an interesting list. Right? Beersheba in Israel. Huh. It has three different American cities. Columbia, South Carolina, East Lansing, Michigan, and Rockford uh, from the Rockford Files. No, that's Rockford, Illinois. It's very funny when there's the multiple States. in the same country because you can see, really, Columbia, South Carolina, East Lansing could have could not have less in common as American cities. Right. But and, now they've got this kind of quasi-arbitrary bond. Uh, but but, uh, but Cluj-Napoca is also... Uh, uh, twinned with with Nantes in France. Oh, by the way, so is Seattle. So by by the transitive property. Oh, really? Yeah, Nantes is our sister city. And Zagreb in Croatia. Um, there's uh, the the uh, the English city is Rotherham, which no one's ever heard of. But Sao Paulo in oh. Brazil. Why the hell is Cluj Napoca? Cluj Napoca is really punching above its weight there. <laughs> way above its weight, at least in terms of population. There is something kind of cosmic. It gives a, the, the city a cosmopolitan air. That's right. That it can say that it has sent delegations to these places and ha- it can pick up the phone and call the second biggest city in Cameroon or uh, 
or Iceland tomorrow. So Cluj-Napoca has a Kazakhstanian tw- sister city, uh, Karaganda, which is not in the top rank of Kazakhstanian By the way, do cities. we think Kazakhstanian is the adjective of Kazakhstan? Isn't it? I don't know. It's not just Kazakh? Oh, uh, Kazakh. I, I think I think Kazakhstanian. Kazakhstanian. I guess probably the person is a Kazakh. But, but, but their but, adjective. But the city is, uh, but yeah, right. right. The, uh, your home is Tacoma, but you live in Britannia. Right. Yeah. It's, a, it's an American city, but each American is... An Americanian. A Yahoo. So, and, and results do come out of these partnerships. I mean, it's, it's not just um, a, a purely ceremonial thing. Uh, so there is a kind of rotary club, yeah. like business. There are cultural exchanges and a lot of corporate uh, related, you know, companies will reach out to, you know, if, if suddenly oh, sure. they've got a new, you know, a, a company, a city might reach out to a city with a stronger tech sector to ask questions. There's a, you know, if a city is going to put in transit, they might not now suddenly they have somebody they can pick up the phone and call and ask about uh light rail or, uh, you know, so there is, there is actual good that comes out of it, but a lot of it is just kind of a, a, a vague air of uh, hands across the sea and, hey, how are we going to understand the Uzbeks if we can't even point to them on a map? And now, thanks to this plaque, more Seattle school children will be able to do that, et cetera, et cetera. Although we discourage Seattle school children from pointing at Uzbekistan on a map. It's it's, it's not considered, considered polite. Yeah. Certainly, it, yeah, you don't want to point. You need to point with uh, two fingers like they do in Uzbekistan. Wait, did you say Beersheba, Israel? Yes. That's also a Seattle sister city. Well, now, wait a minute. Cluj-Napoca so, and Seattle have a lot in common, we have a lot at more least, than I thought. We have at least two sister cities in common. Maybe that's just because there's not enough well, cities, cities in the world. I mean, once you have... T- so it's really gone out of all... Proportion. The the record, I think, is St. Petersburg, which has 78 sister cities. And if you have a family of 78, nobody's getting enough to eat. I don't know if you can have 78 sister cities and have it be meaningful at all. So this is weird because Seattle does not have a Romanian sister city. We have an Uzbeki one, uh, a Cambodian, an Indonesian sister city. Oh, we're, we're paired with Reykjavik. That's nice. It's pretty good. You and, know, and we that's see why, that all the time. That's why we have the music festival. That's right. Yeah. That's nice. That actually panned out. And I think that's an example of a city that's been punching above its weight in its country in terms of, uh, you know, alternative youth music forms. And I think that's a big thing that's powered that sister city relationship. So here's another one. Cluj-Napoca is also paired with Pesh in Hungary. Oh, I thought it was pronounced Pex. I thought Hungary, like, could... Uh, could flex its pecs. No, you're right. It's pesh for sure. And uh, and apparently here, according to the Seattle.gov website, there's a Seattle Pesh Sister City Association. But I'm wondering, wait a minute, if 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 Cluj-Napoca and Seattle share three sister cities, Beersheba, Pesh, and what was the other one? Um, Nantes, France. Nantes. That means either that those those three cities, Beersheba, Pesh, and Nantes, are promiscuous they'll just sleep with any of their sisters or Cluj-Napoca is why why would this how this is statistically improbable I think you're right. I think there must be uh, not a requirement of transitivity but uh, a tendency toward it because maybe it leads to greater efficiencies instead of just getting together with a bunch of two-way relationships you know uh, Beersheba and Pesh and Cluj-Napoca and Seattle no not not Cluj-Napoca what was the other one? Nantes and Seattle can all 
attend summits and rotate through each other's cities. Right. Uh, let's see. Let me, let me just check right here to see what the story is with Beersheba. No, it doesn't have a crazy number of, um, sister cities, just a regular number. The U S doesn't really do the thing where when you're driving into the city, it tells you who your sister cities are, which is a big thing in uh, Europe. And I think elsewhere in the world, like the, the towns really make that a big part of their marketing gimmick. And I'm sure it's because sister cities, international, gave them a grant to, to put up fancy new signs if, right. if they would mention their, their twinned towns. Beersheba is uh, paired with Addis Ababa, which is that's a major city. Pretty I good. feel like they have even fewer pairs, so that was just completely random that, See, that Seattle would be a... Seattle gets no world capitals except Reykjavik, and Reykjavik is like one of the dinkier world capitals in the developed world. Right. Oof. And very Seattle-like, by the way. But but we have huge cities. Mombasa, Kenya is a ginormous city. Right. It's just... Not a world capital. Right. Um, the uh, In 2002, this is one of my... This is another Pacific Northwest sister city stories. And by the way, like I noticed that in both sets of nomenclature, we have used the alliterative... We've chosen an alliterative title. It's sister cities, but twin towns. In the mm-hmm. UK, mm-hmm. even though it's mostly cities, but it doesn't have to be. It can be small towns. In 2002, a Scottish woman named Elizabeth Layton was on a cycling tour of parts of the U.S., including the Pacific Northwest, and she cycled through Boring, Oregon. Have you been? To, have you been to Boring? Have I ever? Every time I cross the Columbia River, I'm in Boring, Oregon until I get to <laughs> California. <laughs> I'm in Boring, Oregon for like eight hours. Uh, Boring, Oregon is kind of at the base of Mount Hood. It's not that right. far from Portland. Right. I was um, just there on my motorcycle trip last year. And it gets its name, honestly. It's named for uh, actually a hero of the Battle of Vicksburg, who later came west and, and settled the area that is now Boring, Oregon. Had a farm there. William Boring. Um, and they've they've traded on that a bit. I think they've often had a... I think their sign has often said the most exciting place to live, which is uh, not so a joke so much as a lie, really. Right. But Elizabeth Layton, being from, I believe, Perthshire, Scotland, uh, realized that the next village over in her part of Scotland is called Dull. Dull Scotland. Oh, this is clever. Dull being a Gaelic word for, uh, I don't know, a valley or a plain or something. So it didn't mean dull. But she thought it would be fun if boring and dull could be twinned. And so she reached out to both city governments, and they were into it, mostly because they have probably very little going on. Sure, what else is both. going on in Boring or Dull? Bo- and, boring just has a gas station and a, and a Tasty Freeze. They got 38 boring people together to ask if they would like to be paired with Dull Scotland. Far, 38 Dull Scots Far away persons. Dull Scotland. <laughs> and uh, the, these boring people voted unanimously uh, that they wanted to be paired with Dull. And, uh, and now you can get... Boring and dull T-shirts. There's boring and dull day. Great. Once a year, um, the ice cream social in Boring, Oregon, now has bagpipes every oh, year. People are fun. In fact, the governor of Oregon on August 9th, 2014, declared it boring and dull day statewide to celebrate this new relationship. And they got a little carried away. They decided they would reach out to the New South Wales town of Bland to see if Bland Australia wanted to get on the action. They have wanted nothing to do with it? No, Bland agreed. Oh. They wanted the three-way. Boring, dull, and bland. So boring, dull, and bland are now, this is definitely one case where we know that it's a, it's their, their triplet towns. Right, it's a, a great accountant's firm. So it's one of these, there's a trend now of little tiny towns trying to earn some merch bucks or some, like or some spare, you know, struggling small towns trying to get some tourist dollars or 
t-shirt sales or computers in the public schools by agreeing to do something funny with their name. You know, that Ismay Montana changing its name to Joe Montana for a for a month or something. Lol. Or remember when Halfway Oregon became half.com yeah. Oregon? Back when that was a half.com was some kind when, of when that was funny. It was some kind of what eBay like site, I think. It was some kind of yeah. online auction site, online sales site. I just went to see who the sister cities for New York City are. That's interesting. And you really Because there are no peers to New York. Right, but they've really that, I mean it, it's a pretty major flex. Cream of the crop. It's, a number it's like one. Tokyo, Rome, Madrid, London, Johannesburg, Beijing, Budapest, Cairo, Brasilia, Jerusalem. Because it's a feather in the cap of these other cities. Santa Domingo, right? It, Which makes sense. I mean, Santa Domingo, largest city in the Caribbean. And, oldest, also, and also the oldest. Oldest city, city in, uh, in the, the hemisphere. As we right? discovered on our recent visit there, John. We did. We did. You we didn't, you didn't get off the boat. I did too. About? I was all over Santa Domingo. I went to all the museums. Santa Domingo was the place where I was walking down the street and a guy whistled at me from a doorway and I looked over. It was a barber shop. And he said, hey, you want you want us to... Give you a special beard, beard trim, and I looked, and in the window was a poster of a guy with a like, definitely like Dominican beard that had been hyper, uh, hyper groomed, you know, like super sharp lines and little cuts and stuff. And I, I tried, I, st- I stood there staring at him, trying to picture myself, and he had a very groomed beard and groomed hairline. How close were you to saying yes? I was just like. I do a lot of things just for the story, and this would be a great story, but that would be a really hard look for me to to pull off for the rest of this cruise. Yeah, I was about to say you can't just stay home until it grows out. Right, you're, right. you're trapped on a boat. With I would be on stage people. that that evening, so <laughs> I passed. During the 20th century, uh, when it wasn't being used for jokes like this, the Sister Cities movement really became uh, a tool to fight isolationism. Um, I think after Vietnam, for example, there was a fear that America could fall back into some Lindbergh style, right. the world can go to hell isolationism. Right. And so it was thought that these kind of municipal arrangements could fight that. Um, and we're living in an era right now when cities do have, uh, are, are trying to flex their policy biceps a bit more, right? Be- but it feels like what should happen is that rural American cities should all be twinned with cities in Mexico and China to increase kind of like the a, a sense of a of a global world. I guess global world is a little redundant, but you know, like Atlanta doesn't not to need our, any not more. to our flat Earth <laughs> or listeners. Atlanta doesn't need any more sister cities, but Montgomery, Alabama, might. Yeah, I mean, let's let's take a let's take a medium-sized city in some red state. Pick a pick a city. Montgomery, Alabama. Montgomery, Alabama. It is the state capital, right? Right. I know a lot of nice people from Montgomery. This is not this is not a slur against the South. It's probably a college town, right? I don't no, maybe think of it as being a college town. I'm just wondering if it's a little more cosmopolitan than other cities its size. According to the internet, the only relationship I can find is with Pietrasanta, Italy. And that seems like that's going to be a, a slightly post-World War II thing. That, yeah, well, and just, I mean, the, the fact that they're even communicating with Catholics make it, makes it seem like a, <laughs> a lot of diversity there. Papists? 
I guess so I'm, Montgomery only has one sister city, and it's a and it's in Italy. That's what I'm saying. Montgomery, Alabama, should have a sister city in Mexico. Oh, and, and it didn't happen until 2009. So maybe there is a lot of resistance in in kind of the less cosmopolitan, what we think of as the less cosmopolitan parts of America, to these international relations. Let's, let's pick another city uh, that that we think of as try a. Well, it can be a midwestern. Try city. Decatur, Georgia. Oh, you want to stay in the south? Well, uh, and then we'll do a then we'll do a uh, then we'll do uh, Sioux City, Iowa. Decatur, Georgia has at least three sister cities. Oddly enough, two appear to be in Burkina Faso, Africa. (laughs) The other being Trujillo, Peru, which is, I don't even know if that's in the five biggest cities in, well, I guess Decatur's not in the five biggest cities in America, last time I heard. So Sioux Falls has, um, Sioux Falls has... Two sister cities. One of them is Potsdam. Pretty good. And one of them is uh, Newry in Ireland. So again, like no connection to... Um, and, and no, yeah, no, develop, no developing world, no Asian or African right, or South America or Latin American... Cities. It feels it feels like the 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 utility of sister cities, at least in a modern context, would be to, yeah, to get a to get the the chamber of commerce of your midwestern or southern or small town western town to get them to welcome some delegates from somewhere actually elsewhere in the world to like at least have yeah, that one handshake on the front page of the paper. I mean, yeah, if you're going to build goodwill, I don't think there was that much bad will between Sioux Falls. Where, where were you looking at? Sioux City, Iowa? Yeah. There wasn't that much bad will between Sioux City, Iowa and Nori, Ireland. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't, weren't any misunderstandings to correct there. Whereas a relationship with, uh, sure. an, an Asian or, Oh well, or so Latin American city might be different. So just checking here in in rural Washington, uh, the city of Wenatchee is twinned with Misawa, Japan. So you know, I mean, Wenatchee doesn't have a uh, another sister city. It doesn't seem. But what is Yakima? Yakima will have more. Yeah, Yakima had better have one in Mexico, or I'm gonna. I'm going to start a fight. Well, I'm guessing these Pacific Rim bonds, like I'm not surprised by the, by Wenatchee and a Japanese city. Oh, and look at this. Yakima's only sister city is in Mexico, Morella or Morelia, Mexico. There does have to be some kind of coincidental relationship that makes somebody pick up the phone the first time. Yeah, right. 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 Somebody's got to have a, 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 a in-law somewhere or a, a friend who came, an exchange student who came and, you know, really lit a fire under somebody. Oh, no, this is interesting. Yakima has one active sister city relationship. Is that interesting? Uh, but three dormant ones. Oh, so they're still on the books, but nobody's actually yeah. paying the dues or doing anything. Uh, Yakima is paired at some point in its history with, uh, uh, let's see, Itayanagi, Japan, Kilung in Taiwan, and Durbant in Russia. Wow. But uh, long ago went dormant, weirdly. So I'm thinking more broadly about the trend today of of cities standing up to state, in the U.S., standing up to state and even federal governments and saying, you know, for example, not complying with immigration enforcement. Or, uh, you know, states do this too with environmental regulations, but cities are starting to try their hand at it as well. And 
the regulatory and constitutional implications are a little bit dicey because you know national governments don't like their cities going rogue right but at the same time america has this federalist ethos of well people should be able to govern themselves at the lowest level so it's hard to make a conservative objection to self-government at these levels that's principled um right except you can't you can't go against a uh like a trade resolution and just decide that your city and right. some Portland can't violate the Iranian embargo. Right. Or, or in the North as much Co- as they would want or to. Or the North Korea, as they're always talking about. Or, you know, they can't start trading with North Korea. And it would be ludicrous to say, yes, but we're starting to see cities doing just that, right? With these sanctuary city um, announcements. Certainly state governments are beginning to assert some state's rights, if you will. I mean, California, by virtue of being one of the world's largest economies, can pretty much dictate what U.S. automakers do. and no, Because it doesn't matter what the federal government says, you're going to right. want to sell cars in California. And if they can't pass California emissions and safety stuff, then it won't sell, right? right? So you'd think in an age like this, there'd be more potential for sister cities to do more good and maybe get around some of the increasing enmity between governments, especially in the Trump era. But there's an interesting thing happening where the opposite is kind of happening. Cities are flexing their, their ideological muscles to end sister city relationships. Really? Uh, this started in 2013, I think is the earliest case I can find, uh, when Russia began passing, Russia and specifically Russian cities began passing anti-gay legislation. Right, I remember. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of ways for a U.S. city council to push back against anti-LGBT policy in another hemisphere of the world. But if you're the Lansing, Michigan City Council, you can absolutely say, we are going to end our sister city relationship with St. Petersburg, Russia, just to get, you know, get in the newspapers our objection to this policy. Wow. Kind of, the, yeah, the, having the opposite effect. Let's, uh, let's, let's start pulling back our, but, our internationalist tendrils. Let's, yeah, here's, here's our new um, idealistic, here's how we show our idealistic uh, principles today. By ending our sister city relationship. Right, let's boycott the 1980 Olympics. It happened in 2017 uh, when the city of Osaka threatened to end its relationship with San Francisco because some local Asian American groups in San Francisco, I believe Korean American and Filipino American groups in San Francisco, had erected a monument to the comfort women. Yeah. You probably know about this. um, To Americans, it's kind of a footnote in history. But it's a huge Not to Koreans. Yeah, it's a huge flashpoint between Japan and Korea and the Philippines and other places that were part of Japanese colonialism in the 30s and 40s. And a lot of local women were pressed into sexual service um, for the occupying power. And in recent years, this has got a lot of attention, not just because Japan never, you know, went decades without acknowledging this, but also because it really accords with modern tendencies. It's it's something that that young feminists can you know, it's a historical cause that young feminists can take up. Right. And, well, and uh, Japan, like, not only didn't acknowledge it, but denied it, right, for yes. decades. And Japan finally acknowledged it, offered, an, you know, an unforced, uh, unprecedented apology, and really thought that should keep anyone from putting up statues, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> Japan really Which I don't think that, fo- I don't know if that follows. They do that kind of apology really begrudgingly. Like, I get that you apologize, but surely you can still have a Holocaust memorial, even if Germany uh, feels really bad about the Holocaust, right? So, so Kobe, uh, 
threatened to or did remove its sister city? I believe Osaka did agree to remove its sister city relationship with San Francisco as a result of this statue that San Francisco, you know, they weren't aware that they were stepping into some diplomatic minefield. Right. You know, some citizens group applied to put up a a statue to to victims of war crimes. And who's against that? Well, apparently the city of Osaka. Japan. I mean, we have here in Seattle, and San Francisco very prominently has a, uh, a Hiroshima uh, Holocaust memorial, or uh, Hiroshima, uh, you know, like nuclear bomb destruction plaza in San Francisco, and we have one here. The, yeah, the, we have that. Uh, the crane, the you know, about one million cranes or whatever by the by the University Bridge. The University Bridge, thing? yeah. yeah. Um, most recently, this was big news a few weeks ago, the city of Wagga Wagga, Australia. Um, Which already, every city should want to be sister cities with Wagga Wagga. Yeah, I believe we're all, aren't you on the record as thinking that all all Australian speech sounds like, what, children's games <laughs> yeah. or whatever? The city uh, of how, did, how did they not get into dull, bland, and boring and Wagga Wagga? The city of Wadadam Chu, Australia. No, Wagga Wagga... Um, very angry or very worked up and worried about full of COVID anxiety, basically pandemic anxiety. Oh yeah. Um, decided to withdraw its, uh, sister city relationship with Kunming, China solely on the strength of Kunming being part of China, the place where coronavirus happened first. What is the population of Wagga Wagga? Cause this sounds like a thing that a city uh, or that a town of 60 people might come up with. It sounds like an Arkansas school board. Wagarada is, is not a small city in New South Wales, but it's only got 56,000 people. Right. So it would be one of the large, you know, it would be the fifth biggest city in Arkansas. And I'm sure it's the fifth biggest city in New yeah, South Wales. New South well, Wales. probably less because of all the Sydney and Melbourne suburbs. Um, but you're exactly right. This is a case where there were a few conservative firebrands on the town council who then waited until the chair and the other, you know, liberal members of the council were not there. And then they passed this resolution, um, booting the city of, chucking the city of Kunming, China to the curb. Now, Kunming is a city wow, of- they owned the libs this time. Kunming is a city of 6.6 million, <laughs> which is probably proportional, honestly. Yeah, right. There's probably as the many- The 50th c- smallest yeah, city. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the smaller cities in that uh, province, I'm sure. Um and it became big news. It, the deputy prime minister of China weighed in on what a diplomatic affront this was. And in fact, I, at one point, I think blamed American imperialism for, for forcing the city of Wagga Wagga, Australia, to, to fight back against global brotherhood. I'm insulted in five different directions. I don't know which way to be the most insulted. And the city of Wagga Wagga, of course, did not see this coming. You know, they, they just wanted to have their little, sure. their little temper tantrum and were shocked to be on... You right. know, the front page of world newspapers. All the news vans start pulling up outside the house. Yes. And the, the penitent uh, conservative counselor uh, had to say that although it really felt good in the moment to to fight back, he realizes he should have maybe thought twice and the city would like to to revoke the whatever ordinance ended the relationship. So things are going smoother between Wagga Wagga and Kunming. But it's just an interesting fact of today when cities are flexing a little more power that it's not necessarily strengthening the sister city relationships. Yeah. You have to wonder I don't think when you look back at the boycott of the 1980 Olympics or the retaliatory boycott of the 1984 Olympics on the part of the Soviets, 
uh, I don't think we look back at that and think of those as it didn't change a lot. It didn't, and they and it it, it was one hundred percent antithetical to the Olympian or the Olympic spirit. Right, the whole notion of it is that it transcend. Well, that's politics. that's true of sister cities as well. I mean, the whole reason why you you know you don't pair yourself with a country across the globe because you agree with the actions of that government. I mean, right. in fact, you do it despite the fact that you don't agree that your governments are are uh, are intention. Right. The idea being that the people of these cities yeah. share more that uh, have more in common than they have apart, and that's the thing to emphasize. It's a Samantha Smith gesture, and that totally gets thrown out the window if Osaka or Lansing or whoever says that we're going to end this relationship because of our governmental disagreements. I would like at this, just at this point in the show to extend a, a handshake of greeting to Cluj, Napoca, Romania. We already have three sister cities in common. Let's formalize this relationship. Cluj, Napoca, we will be your, your, your force on the ground here in Seattle. To, to advance this. John has so many connections at, at City Hall. Whatever differences that our two nations have, let us... Let, let us Let's uh, set those aside. Set those aside. Let's work together. And I, I feel like we should sister pair with uh, Wagga Wagga, just to... I don't know. They seem a little petulant. Well. Cluj Napoca first. Sure. Then Wagga then Wagga. Wagga, that's, Wagga. It's, that's how I play Risk. You know, the, if, if we friend with Wagga Wagga and then they want to own... Some libs. We're the we're the best libs in the country to own. And that concludes Sister Cities. Entry 1165.am0408. Certificate number 39656 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era and that every city in the world is not sister-paired with every other city in the world. If everyone's a sister city, John, nobody is. Well, that's what I'm wondering, right? If it's all, if, if, if it becomes a huge network and we're all sisters, I mean, we are all sisters. I mean, all men are sisters when you that's think right. about it. Maybe that would be more accurate. Well, if that is the case and what we're talking to is a sentient sister city being, which well, is just all cities in one giant... I mean, if you have enough nodes in any neural net, it will become sentient. That's right. So if you... if Maybe Cluj-Napoca is the last sister city we need for the world's cities to achieve sentience. To, to, to achieve like a... And like then, a, we'll, then we'll blast off and leave a, a, a fully rural earth to heal. I mean, I, I love this idea that the earth becomes a being. Yeah, we are the virus. And when I say we, I mean us and Wagga Wagga. Mm. Anyway, if you want uh, if you want to read Ken's tweets from long ago to be to feel inspired and to feel that that feeling of sisterhood um, and communal single purposedness purposed purposed is that what Twitter gives you a single <laughs> single of singleness of purposity purposity uh, go to at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick at Omnibus Project. Um, you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can uh, hang out with other futurelings on various social media platforms. You can mail us wonderful gifts, um, including sacks of Krugerands to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. If you do send a, uh, a bag of Krugerands, make sure you mark it for John. Do you know what uh, we got from our friend? Mar- Do you remember Mark who um, 
did the delightful watercolor postcard of sliced bread. Oh, yeah, that was nice. I didn't know it was going to be the uh, the first in a series. Oh, what's uh, next? Here's his latest por- uh, postcard from Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, commemorates the Telling the Bees omnibus entry. Oh, look at that. That's really beautiful. And it's got a, a picture of his phone playing an omnibus episode and a bunch of bees crawling on it. So if you uh, if you are an artist and you want to send us a series of postcards inspired by our episodes, do so at P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington 98155. And if you would like to support us with uh, virtual Krugerands, unfortunately, you cannot earmark them for me. They will go to both of us and uh, Ken will distribute them. And in fact, I do the half. accounting, so you yeah, have no right. idea. I have no idea. How you much, also how get many, the mail. You have no idea how many Krugerands <laughs> I'm embezzling. Yeah. Uh, that is at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. Futurelings, speaking to you as we do from the distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive. We hope and pray that these uh, bonds of municipal brotherhood that we have forged... Or sisterhood, I guess. You can't have brotherhood through sister cities. Hmm. You have sisterhood through brother cities. And some cities are non-binary. Seattle is. Uh, yeah, what would you have? You would have, the, they'd be sibling cities. Siblinghood. Yeah, yeah sibling cities. The, uh, the alliteration still works. Hmm. We hope and pray that this kind of uh, hands across the sea, goodwill will uh, stave off the catastrophe we fear. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>